0: Hmm? Ah.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Rima.
2: And I'm Sean.
1: And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show The Haunting of Hill House.
2: Today we'll be covering the eighth episode from Netflix TV series The Haunting of Hill House titled Witness Marks.
1: Alright, I'm, I'm really excited. This was such a great episode, and did you know this was the shortest It so was far? pretty
2: short, yeah. I remember last week we talked, like, right when we finished recording, we were going to jump in and watch the next one, and mm-hmm. I did that, and I saw, like, because it was, like, <laughs> 11 o'clock our time. My yep. wife wasn't home yet, and I was like, oh, I'm going to cue this up. I saw <gasps> You 40- watched it alone? I did, yeah. And, uh, and it sucks, too, because I've got a bunch of dogs, and when she comes home, they bark like crazy and scare the schnizzle out of me, and so mm-hmm. they didn't do that, which was good. But yeah, I saw 42 minutes. I'm like, hey, this is going to be over before midnight. I'll be scared and won't get to fall asleep till three in the morning, which is like two <laughs> hours earlier than normal. So <laughs> thumbs up on that.
1: Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I, I did too. As soon as we were done recording, I did all of my nighttime activities and jumped into bed, <laughs> crawled under the covers and holy shit, did I regret <laughs> that decision because... It got me, but what a good one. Well, I'm really excited to talk about it. Why don't you start us off this week with uh, your number five?
2: All right. So I don't think I'm too high on this episode as you were. Um, so I almost let it slip last week. Um, my, so basically my number five is kind of tied into the episode, uh, I mean, kind of the season two, but really just the exposition that came from this episode. Mm-hmm. So... Last week when we were talking about episode seven, I almost mentioned out loud that something that I like about The Haunting of Hill Houses, unlike a lot of other Netflix series, is that I didn't feel like we had an episode that kind of felt forced. Mm -hmm. Um, And Stranger Things really doesn't do that too bad. Um, But I think of like Altered Carbon Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Lost in Space. Those were two series that I'm like, hey, you could have probably shrunk it to seven, eight episodes and been fine. Yeah, and with this one, I haven't felt that at all. Like all seven episodes, I felt were were completely necessary. Uh, this episode, the exposition, I think was necessary. Although I think they could have sprinkled it out or maybe done a little bit different. But the like like I was kind of alluding to is so I, I was about ready to <laughs> say like, hey, there's not an episode that kind of feels forced. This one kind of felt that way. Oh. Uh, more so just because uh, it was a lot of exposition. Um, we learn a little bit about who. Might be the big, bad technically in this, um, mm-hmm. but I felt like there's a lot of forced conversation, so it's kind of one of those okay, we have somebody you know throwing out all these internal monologues that they're not saying out loud, you know, with the interaction between Steve and his dad a little bit and then theo and and her sister to an extent, um, although she kind- of, I felt like that one was more natural because. You know, she was mentioning after she touched her sister, she felt this nothingness. And that's something I don't think you could get without her kind of saying it. But
0: mm-hmm.
2: I felt like the exposition between um, Steve and his dad was a little bit forced, a little heavy handed. Um, not a bad episode. I mean, I, it wasn't one of those where I'm like, oh, shit. But it definitely was of the episode so far. This one felt like it was kind of, OK, we've got three episodes left. We've got a lot of exposition we need to get in. Let's do it this episode. And then the next two, we can just hit the floor running.
1: I see your point. I don't know if I completely agree, but I see where you're coming from and I can see your side of, of why you feel that way. But I, I really liked it and I thought it was good though. It might've, I don't really feel that it was forced, but I do feel it was good that we start getting some of this stuff out and start laying our cards on the table a little bit. Um, cause it's about damn time. Cause it, it has felt like, So far up to this point, it's like I just I will just scream at the TV sometimes. Like, will you please just freaking talk (laughs) to each other? Will you please just say what's on your mind? Will you please just say it? It's like everybody's so bottled up, and it's like they're it's like they're like, why bother, you know, with with each other? So I was glad to finally get some stuff like laid out on the table a little bit, and um, so that's that's an interesting point though, but that's okay.
2: Yeah, and I feel like this is the the. Past burns, I think probably from like The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. as I'm kind of like processing a little bit more. Because after this episode ended, I'm like, I really just I I feel like I didn't gain a ton from this episode, and I really need to move on to the next one. And mm-hmm. I feel like Walking Dead's a show that does that a lot. Like you watch an episode, you don't get a lot, and then there's a little cliffhanger at the end where like, oh, okay, fuck, now I need to watch the next episode. Yeah. And that that's the little bit of the gist I got here. Again, Netflix is, I think, can get away with that a little bit more because Mm -hmm. you get every single episode. You can binge it. So like with this one, if we weren't doing week to week, I could be like, oh, fuck, okay, let me watch episode nine. Uh, Week to week shows, like on network TV, this episode would happen, and I think I'd be more upset because it's like, okay, I don't feel like I got anything out of this. I got a little bit, but not a ton. Mm -hmm. Now I have to wait for the penultimate episode to figure out more stuff. Um, I didn't, again, I didn't hate it, but so far of the episodes, this probably would have been my least favorite.
1: Interesting. Well, I'm going to ask you after we're done, what, <laughs> see if you still feel that way after we've talked it out. <laughs> sometimes we have a way of turning each other around, um, after we've had a chance to discuss it. So I'll be interested to hear what you think, um, at the end here. Well, I like it. I, I do like, you know, even if I don't hundred percent agree with you, I do see where you are coming from, um. And I understand it, but i I did feel otherwise. I liked this one, and i I'm gonna just jump into my number five. It's different than what your topic is. I'm just gonna talk a little bit about steve and and his secret with his vasectomy. Mm. um I feel like in this episode, we kind of really get like a real like the real psychopath in this. <laughs> In this, in this series so far, um, I've really been trying to give Steve the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, about how he has been acting towards his family. And I've tried to kind of reason a little bit, um, even with how he took and kind of exploited his family's story into these novels and making money and stuff. Um, so I, I feel like I've given him the benefit of the doubt, try to give him a pass, try to see his side of things and also kind of see the good parts of him too. I mean, you know, there's some episodes that really make him look like a douchebag, and then there's others, you know, that um, he doesn't quite shine so bright. This one, this was fucked up. Um, it's like, okay, I get it that you're scared about passing on mental illness or if you just outright don't want to have kids it's because it's okay to not have kids you know i'm not one of those people that think everybody should procreate not everybody should be parents and that's okay and if you don't want to be a parent then you shouldn't um and i get where he is worried about that passing on on genes um you know thinking that his kids could be mentally ill or something and they don't he doesn't want to do that to them but to hide it for so long and to not tell his wife yeah when you get
2: married. I feel that's, like that's that's one of those. It feels like the the office uh, Chris Pratt meme. It's like, you know, I haven't told my wife I've had a vasectomy, and at this point I'm too scared to tell her. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, essentially it's like, well, it's a little lie. Like, yeah, it's like she's like, "Ah, oh, I kind of want kids, maybe want kids, end up getting married, and she's like, oh, I want to have kids. You're like, oh, well, how do you tell somebody that?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I I get there are, are always going to be or not always sorry, but there 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 can be some difficult things that you have to tell people. But I feel like if you're getting to the point where, you know, you're having some serious conversation, like even before you get married, I mean, you kind of start ta- having those conversations about like your hopes and dreams, right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, you know, this is what I envision as, you know, um, if I ever get married, I want to have children, or I I envision myself if I'm married, that here's what I want to do with my life, or here's where I see myself, you know, in so many years. That is when you say something for sure. I mean, if you haven't said anything at this point, if it hasn't come up, you know, oh, by the way, I had a vasectomy straight out of college, You know, then I feel like that is a good point. And especially, if not then, then especially when you get engaged, you know, you're having these conversations, right? I mean, when you're I, yeah, you're getting I mean, married that, hey, I want to have kids. Do you want to have kids? <laughs> you
2: know? Most couples are. And I mean, I guess like even at that point, like if they've kind of like, oh, I'm kind of on the fence about it or maybe like, yeah, I'd really like to have kids. Vasectomies are reversible.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So even in that, it's like, true. okay, well, I don't have to tell her because it is reversible. Like if we get to that point and we still want to have kids, we can talk about it then. But when you get to the point where I, I don't know how long they've been trying, it sounds like for a little bit. If you're at that point where you're actually trying and you're not that – at that point, you're trying along with them knowing you have a vasectomy and can't do it, that's where it gets like – like each step's fucked up, but that's the step that's yeah. even more fucked up.
1: Yeah. I, it, I think when they were in the uh, office uh, considering the infertility treatments, they had been trying for a little over two years, it sounds like. So – and that's not even saying how long they've been married. I don't know how long they had been married up to that point. Um so, yeah, even even then, I mean, he's he's definitely past the point of no return. By the time he's married and still hasn't confessed that he's had a vasectomy, um, he's definitely past that point. I don't know that there's any forgiveness at that point. Um, however, by the time they start going through the timing of ovulation, taking her temperatures, scheduling sex— um, <laughs> And I mean, all of that is terrible. I haven't personally had to go through um, any type of infertility treatments or, or anything like that, but I've had friends who have, so I understand a little bit about the process and I understand that pain and that heartache coming from mostly the women, but men can experience it too. I think it's kind of viewed just a little bit differently sometimes, but men I know can, if they're really wanting children can kind of go through some pain as well, but especially for women, you know, um. You know, having to go through that process and then having to start going through something like IVF, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible to let that go on for two years and then get to that point and still not say anything. And I don't blame her one bit. I mean, so he could have said something and said, you know what? Um, I had a vasectomy a long time ago um whenever I was really young, my family's really screwed up, and here's why, and here's why I did it. He could have said something about adoption. You can adopt yeah. and you know go through that process, and I don't know if that would have been okay for her because maybe she really just wants to have a baby of her own. I don't know, but you know, you can still go through that process and have children and um or you could have went through like, you know, a surrogacy type. There's there's There are other options if you are that worried about passing on what he considers his bad genes. So it just – I'm just – I totally see her side and I'm really having a hard time being sympathetic um, for Steve at this point at all since this has come to light. So I don't know.
2: You yeah, it's kind of interesting thoughts? like his – I don't know if you could really tie it together, but like his whole family – I think, understands or feels like there's something going on, but he's kind of uh, ignorant to it, I guess.
0: He is. And it's, <laughs> and it's almost
2: kind of like the reverse of this, where she really wants this thing to happen, but she, and she, I'm going to say ignorant just because I can't think of a better word, but she, she just doesn't know the fact that she he can't produce anything.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: she's kind of going, uh, it's not really beating a dead horse, and I can't think of a, the analogy, but there's something about where you're basically like, Like the, the repetitiveness, like she's Mm -hmm. thinking that this thing's possible, it's real, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of the, 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 the knower of the knowledge, but not sharing it.
1: Yeah. It was just, I think it's cruel. It was absolutely cruel of him to withhold this information. I, I don't think it was, I, you know, I think he probably took it too far to, to go as far as having a vasectomy, but he made that decision, um, but to, to withhold that from someone that you're supposed to be in love with and someone that you're a partner with, sharing your life with, someone that you should be open and honest with, um, was completely cruel and and just, I think, unforgivable. I don't know what I think about Steve at this point, but um, I guess we'll see moving forward.
2: Yeah, I I get why he would do it if his thoughts were complete, the vasectomy that is, the mm-hmm. complete, you know, scared to... to because I think he thinks he's crazy too because he's seen these yeah. things and he does his best to ignore them or, or right. not discuss them. Right. But, but yeah, the fact that you know maybe you don't tell her when you're dating, maybe you don't tell her initially when you get married because you could tell yourself, well, it's reversible. But the point you guys are trying or even talking about trying, that's when you definitely have to drop it. And I can even see, I guess, before you're married because I'm sure reversing it can probably have its own... Uh, issues mm-hmm. and if a if a woman is like no like I want to have a kid no matter what I I would rather be with somebody else than you if the chances are 75 25 that you can't get it reversed in the right like mm-hmm. I don't want to take that chance but you don't give that person that opportunity you right. know they've been married for I don't know, let's say 10 years. I mean, that's 10 years she's missed out on the opportunity to have a kid when, if she really, really wants it. So. Exactly.
1: And, and all that time trying, like if she had known going in the marriage that he, you know, wasn't able to, um, have children, uh, you know, they could have been considering other options. Maybe if she's like, okay, that's fine. You know, that's, it's, kind of fucked up why you did that but I still want to be with you and you know at least if he's open and honest about it she could have been like it's okay we can adopt or, yeah. or even go to if a sperm using, bank kind of thing or yeah she could um, still use her eggs and, and they could get a surrogate and, and do it that way and not and use someone else's sperm or something like that um you know, there are, there are so many options, but spe- I mean, especially like in, in like today, there are so many ways, you know, that the people, um, still find a way to, to have children or adopt, you know, there's so many kids out there that, that, you know, um, need good homes and stuff. So there, there are so the other options. So if she wasn't too stuck on the fact of them to having children, she just, you know, she just wanted to have, you know, children and, you know, she wasn't concerned about that, you know, who knows, you know, but yeah, she's wasted all of this time, um, and then, of course, that's such a huge, huge thing. I mean, it's it's not like, you know, some – which I don't know. It's I don't want to make it sound like it's okay to lie ever, but it's I, – I feel like there are different, like, degrees of lying. <laughs> There's maybe, you know, this little white lie versus, oh, by the way, I've had a vasectomy and I never told you. Um, so I don't know. Anyway, I kind of rambled a little bit on my number five. It just – it really stuck with me that I thought, dude, that's just – it's wrong. I mean, yeah. it's wrong to lie, but to especially let it go this long, he's let it go too far. Um, so I'm, I'm glad, though, that we got a little bit of insight because now we, you know, because we've been kind of wondering what's happened with, with Lee and, and Steve and, uh, you know, kind of speculated as to what happened because we don't get anything else because they look pretty happy. And then she really can't even look at him at this point. And I totally get why. So anyway, it's my number five.
2: Yeah, the part on that. I'll just add one last thing. When they're in the uh, fertility doctor, and she mm-hmm. was asking, was like, "So when's the last time you ejaculated?" And he was like, uh, "I don't know. It's been like a little week or a week and a half." And she's like, "No, no. It's been two weeks." And they have it like looking. She's like, "Oh, it's like yeah." Leave a guy alone for two, to three hours.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I'm surprised he said like a week or week and a half.
2: Yeah,
1: I was uh, expecting like six uh,
2: hours ago. Wait, no, I just went I to the know. grocery store to get gas. Um, yeah. yeah. I, was, I got bored. <laughs> yeah.
1: I know, especially with, um, I don't know, because it's just not uh, romantic or very sexy, you know, To when you're going through infertility and you're doing the, the timing and temperature taking and scheduling sex and things all around all of this, you know, um, kind of got to get your thrills where, where, where you can, because I can't mm. imagine that that's very fun to have yeah. to to do that. Um, anyway, what's your number four?
2: Uh, so my number four, uh, so the very first episode of the show was titled, was it titled Steve sees a ghost?
1: Uh, yeah, the first yeah,
2: one was Stephen yep. sees a ghost. And what we find out is, uh, in fact, Steve has seen a ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was one of the things with, of the exposition that I really enjoyed. So we find out that, uh, Hugh has read Steve's book, it seems like he's gone through it with a fine-tooth comb, mm-hmm. and some little throwaway paragraph, probably, Steve mentions walking by, somebody fixing the grandfather clock. Yeah. And Hugh says, well, there was nobody there to, to fix the clock, so you saw a ghost. And I think Steve Steve knows he's seen ghosts. Like, he saw his mom, he's seen his sister, he's seen ghosts in his life. Right. But I, I think he does his best to, like I said, just kind of, um, not ignore it, but talk himself out of what he's actually seen he
1: he thinks that he's just mentally ill and like he says in the beginning and gosh i don't think i have it in my notes but it's like what he tells um oh that lady that he's helping in his episode that he thinks ghosts are just like a projection mm. um, of, of kind of like what you have going on in your life or stresses or or things that have happened to you and that's how he just writes it off so, yeah, he he doesn't believe that they're actually there.
2: Yeah, it was kind of a small little little back and forth. Um, I felt like that was – that's that's kind of one of my, like, mild complaints of the episode is that was kind of an exposition to be like, oh, no, Steve, you've actually seen a real ghost.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it had been kind of interesting if we would have seen that, like, back further in the episodes and they might have, like, sprinkled in, you know, like – And I kind of, I guess this is kind of my number three a little bit. I don't want to jump too far into it, but it's kind of like the game room thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, they keep talking about this game room, and everybody's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But if you had that same thing with this clock, you know, like maybe in certain spots, Steve says something about the clock not working even after somebody fixed it or something that kind of trickled it in that what he thought happened didn't. And then this reveal, you're like, oh my gosh, that was a ghost. It wasn't actually somebody fixing the clock. Would have been kind of interesting. Um, But that, I mean, that's just. It's kind of short and sweet, I guess, for my number four, but it's just Steve seeing a ghost and actually having confirmation he has seen a ghost.
1: Yeah, I like that look on his face after, <laughs> after yeah. his dad tells him that. He's like, what the fuck? Of course, he thinks his dad's just batshit too, oh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, that, it, he seemed to kind of take it in and be like, oh... Maybe that's true. Um, well,
2: it's hard to come to grips. It's like, okay, would you rather think of yourself as crazy or realize that you've seen real-life ghosts? Not real life, I guess, because they're dead, but actual ghosts.
1: Right. Have an actual experience like that or have a haunting, experience a haunting um, like everyone else has. Yeah. It, it's Either way, it's a little unsettling. It makes you think you're crazy when you see shit, let me tell you. I like that. I like that. I know I'm going to talk more about that too, but um, I have a little bit more to go into. So we'll wait. We'll um, wait till I get to that one. Well, my number four, I, I wanted to just mention this particular scene. I thought it was just absolutely wonderful. Um, the actress did such a great job. Kate Siegel. Uh, this is when Theo, uh, Theo's breakdown. Um, her, when she jumped out of the car, which well, I know I'm going to talk about later, um, but she, was so swept up in what had just happened um, and that it was happening again. And she was in the middle of trying to explain to Cheryl about, you know, what really happened between her um, and, and Kevin. And she was talking about this vision of death as an ocean of nothing, just numb and nothing and alone. And, oh, that's, that's one part of what Steve had said when she talks about being numb and nothing and alone. Um, It kind of comes back a little bit about what we hear Steve say in the first episode, that we trick ourselves into seeing ghosts because it's better than reconciling um, ourselves to the idea that we'll never see our loved ones again. Um, And I I like what she says. She says, I'm just floating in this ocean of nothing. I wonder if this is it, if this is what death is. I'm just out there in the darkness, just darkness and numbness and alone. And I wondered if that's what she felt and that's what mom feels and it's just numb and nothing and alone. And I, I really, really like that. And I think her performance was so captivating, and I really felt for her. I, Again, this episode, I'm always shedding some tears somewhere um, in, in one of these episodes. And I think I felt myself uh, shed a few during the scene because it was so heartfelt, and it was so—thinking about that. Because I think it's an honest view of what death could be like. You know, Cheryl spends her time selling— the fact that, like, death is like sleeping and it's peaceful and it's beautiful, and we really know nothing about it except that it happens to all of us. Um, so I really liked how they they kind of put this thought of that. Um, because I think it is kind of an honest view, we don't know what happens, and and to think of that was, um, it was really heartbreaking that that's what she saw when she touched Nell was this alone and how much it impacted her. We know that. She's very empathic and she feels and she feels things very deeply. And to see what she went through was um was heartbreaking. So I don't know. What did you think about that scene?
2: Uh it was a great scene. I think uh I, I kinda had that it's so I, I know there's been a handful of times where if I want to keep myself awake at night, I try to think what happens when you die. And oh. then I freak the shit out of myself.
0: <laughs> that sounds terrible. Sean. Yeah,
2: it is. <laughs> it's horrible because like it's kinda like whenever I look out into the vastness of space, like I freak mm-hmm. myself out because You feel so minuscule in life. Yeah. And that's kind of what she mentions here. She's like, because this, you know, when you think about it, this show really hasn't glorified death at all.
0: Right. Because,
2: like she said, she touched her sister. She sees vast nothingness. Mm hmm. Or if it's not vast nothingness, what you get to go to, hey, you get to wander houses, you know, in pain for your entire existence. Yeah.
1: And suffer endlessly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, like, it definitely doesn't glorify. The afterlife, whatsoever, um, and yeah, and it's it's one of those things. Like, I know if you're religious or not religious. Like, you think if you're you know if you're religious, you think, oh my gosh, we go to a different, more great place. You know, like you think of heaven, or you think of, you know, if you get reincarnated. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like you think more of an atheist thing. It's like, hey, when you die, you just become stuff in the ground.
0: Right And like that it's freaks me out.
2: It's like, well, what, do you, what do you mean? <laughs> like it's nothing? It's like you go to sleep. Well, when you're asleep, you're kind of conscious. Is it like that, or like, what what is that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll sit there and freak myself out and then won't sleep for the whole night.
1: Oh God, Sean, you need to think of something else because I wouldn't be able to sleep at all. I know.
2: it was I remember the first time I think I ever thought of this. I was probably like eight or nine years old. I don't know why, like I, I just like started thinking like, oh, oh my gosh, what happens when you die? And then, like, I remember just bawling in bed, like, crying my eyes out because I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to die because I don't know what that is.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And you don't. It's freaky. And this show is like, if I saw this show when I was nine, I'm like, oh, my God, if I die, (laughs) I just wander around like a gray ghost or I end up in a wheelchair.
1: That's terrible. Well, I, I'm like one of the most morbid people you will ever meet. I will. I talk about death all the time. I think about death all the time. Um, you know, I'm always bringing it up to my kid. I was bringing it up again the other day. Okay, if something happens to me, here's where my papers are at. Here's like everything mm. that you're gonna need to know. Which is is it's kind of one of those conversations you should have, but it's still really morbid. And I talk about it like way too much. My kid's probably like, "Would you just shut up already?" Because I've brought <laughs> it up like three times in the last three or four weeks or something um, like, oh, by the way, I did this and, and here's what you need to know. Um, I, I talk about it way too often. I think about it a lot. Um, well, that probably sounds like too overdramatic, maybe not a lot, but I'm pretty morbid. And, um, you know, of course, and I think we all think about it, right? And, and we think about it and we obsess about it because we don't know anything about it. I mean, we know, yeah. I mean, I guess some people have pretty um, strong beliefs. If you if if you are uh you know follow a certain religion or spiritual or something like that, and and you know this is what you believe really happens. But truth is, we don't know. I mean, you can believe what you want, but we still don't really know um, until it happens. And then, of course, once it happens, you can't you know you can't tell other people about it. Like you can't yeah. like go take a trip and then come back and be like, oh well, this is what happens. Yeah. So
0: <laughs>
2: now a, you know,
1: and you can feel better.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, all oh, poor eight year old eight-year-old Sean. Yeah,
2: I know. Scary stuff. If I wasn't seeing Pennywise the clown down a hallway, I was thinking of death.
1: Jeez, Sean, what a childhood you had. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's okay. I kind of had the same. I was thinking about Poltergeist <laughs> as a kid. Jeez. All right. Um, what was that? Was that my number four? And so, yep. what's your so- number three?
2: Uh, My number three, I dropped it a little bit earlier, but it's this game room has come up a second time and (sighs) this, this exact same time. Miss Dudley is kind of like the game room. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think we might've found our big bad in this because Steve is in there playing Sega uh, and he sees this (laughs) old dresser and he decides that he wants to paint it and give it to his mother. And when he's, shows Miss Dudley that she tells him about uh, one of the hills that was married from an insane asylum was legit crazy, Mm -hmm. came in this house, was still crazy. uh, And, you know, she says that, you know, she didn't really seem scared of it, which was kind of interesting. So I I still don't know what what to think of that. But Mm
0: -hmm.
1: as
2: Steve's painting it, black mold comes into play again.
1: Yes. There's a
2: black mold covering the bottom of this thing. Mm -hmm. And Steve's mom Sees it, loves it, sits down, and then I could see why Steve would be pretty fucked up because his mom just kind of gets this weird, scared look on her face and punches the mirror. And that's the last we know about this thing for the time being.
1: Yeah, that, that was really interesting. We get uh, a, a little bit of an introduction to Poppy Hill. Find out she was married to William Hill, and he's the one that bricked himself up in the wall. that the 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 body that they found last uh episode and it it's kind of like oh uh so you know we were kind of wondering what in the world was you know so scary in this house that somebody bricked themselves up but if this dude was that legit insane maybe that played a part in it too i mean he could have just been insane enough and thought oh it's just a good idea to bury myself in the wall today i don't know um and then, yeah, Steve's whole idea of getting this vanity for, for his mom. And I felt really sad because I think that this is – this, I think, showed a pretty good picture of what it can be like when you're a kid and your one of your parents suffers from, like, a mental yeah. illness. Um And it was really sad that you know Steve. Like if if you have um you know if your parent suffers from like depression or like a schizophrenia or just some type of mental illness where you know they're kind of behaving the way that uh, Olivia was, and so he's trying to cheer his mom up and try to make her happy because making her happy keeps. The depression or this weird behavior that she's going through—it kind of changes that and keeps her out of that. He thinks, or it will help snap her out of it. And to see him try so hard, and then to see—you know—she has a moment. She sees something in the mirror. We don't know what. I don't know if we'll find out in another episode, but we know she's—we know she's slipping um, because he saw her earlier in the twins' room talking to not yeah. the twins. Um, So he's experiencing this himself. He's kind of seeing firsthand. I don't know if the other kids, I don't know if Cheryl or Theo um, saw any of what Steve uh, was experiencing or not, but we know that Steve is experiencing it. And it's got to be really heartbreaking um, to be in that type of position and feeling like you're put in in a place where you have to try to keep your parent well. And that's what he's like trying to do. He's like, I'm just trying to, you know, I just thought it'd be nice, you know, cheer you up. Dad said, you know, that, you know, you're feeling kind of off or something. And so it was just um, kind of a little sad moment, I thought.
2: Yeah, Um, and I I can't remember if this was before or just shortly after, but when Steve's in the car talking to his dad, I mean, I always think whenever you hear an older person say mom, mm -hmm. it always comes from a, like a very childish place. And as he's driving, and they're talking about it he says, oh, "I miss my mom yeah and it yeah can I can't remember if it was before or after, but it's definitely I mean especially as a kid like you know you think as you get older you kind of you know, go through your teen years with your mother and everything if you're lucky um, but in this sense like his mother passed away when he was young and in a horrific mm-hmm. situation and to still miss her in that way um I think says a lot It does uh, it does this all kind of ties back to that game room though like this is the second time it's been mentioned that they're trying to get something from this game room. Miss Dudley doesn't know what the game room is. Mm-hmm. So, does this place exist? Is this is this the red room? Are they somehow going into this red room? Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's one of those things that this show is kind of like. Whenever it drops little hints like this, it usually means something. And I feel like this game room has some type of meaning to it.
1: Well, since you said it, I'm just going to go ahead and and I'll what, cause what you just said is exactly kind of what I'm thinking. And that is actually ties into my number one. And I'll just, um, because we find out there was no treehouse.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, good call. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Hugh tells him, he's like, there was no tree house. Like, you know, think about it. You know, he's like, when would I have had time? Yeah. You know, we were only going to, one, how would I have the time? Because he's busy working on this house. Two, why would he build a, a tree house? Because they're only going to be there for like eight weeks. Um, and that was a pretty slick damn tree house. I mean, I yeah. remember seeing it for the first time. And I, this was like before I had thought that Hugh had built it for him. I thought it was just there already. I mean, it would make sense that the property, you know, would have had a, a really nice tree house for children on the grounds to 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 play in or whatever, but I th- I remember thinking, damn, that's a pretty damn nice treehouse. And for their dad to have time to fix that, I remember thinking in the beginning that that just I I thought it was too. I was like, no way. But I'm like, well, whatever. I'll I'll take it. I'll believe it or whatever. Um, so we find out there was no damn treehouse. We found out that um, or well, sorry, didn't find out, but. We remember when, let's see, Nell mentioned to Mrs. Dudley the playroom. And Mrs. Dudley looks at her. Remember when she finds that little tea set and her mm. little cup of stars? And she tells she, Mrs. Dudley's like, oh, where'd you find that? And she's like, oh, I found it um, in the playroom. And she goes, the what? And I mean, who is going to know that house better than anyone? Uh, and that's Mrs. Dudley. And if she doesn't know what the hell, what playroom she's talking about, that makes you question it. Okay, then. So-
2: Okay, the game room, room. I think you, yeah.
1: Then the game room, he tells Mrs. Dudley, "I found this vanity in the game room." She goes, "Where? Like, what are you talking about? What game room?" And I would be willing to bet, even though Theo didn't mention it, remember her little dance room when she's dancing to yeah. Paula Abdul? I am betting you that that was the dancing room, which probably does not exist. Um, and I think they're in the red room.
2: So where was Shirley then?
1: I don't know. I don't know that Shirley was ever in there. I don't know if we'll get that at a later date because we didn't get Shirley ever saying that she was in some type of room, um, but I have more. Um, not only are these rooms for each of the children seem to be non-existent. There's no game room, no play room, probably not this dance room, Um I think they were in the red room. I also think, remember how uh, Olivia keeps like sweeping down the stairs in this graceful way that only Olivia uh, can do with this box of things that she gives to the children that seem to be tied to them and really impact them in some way, like the bowler hat, um, Mm. this little uh, box of – or. Canister, whatever it was of buttons that she gives to Nell. In Shirley's episode, she has this little beautiful lavender box that she gives her. Um, and they all seem to be impactful and seems to affect the children. I think she's getting these items out of the red room. I don't think she knows it's the red room. I don't think any of them know. But to me, it's the red room, to me, is the haunted version of the room of requirement from like Harry Potter. Okay. You remember the room of requirement in oh. Harry Potter? It, it, to me, it's like this room is what it's the evil version of that, and it's whatever that you need it to be. It's like whatever you want it to be. Nell wanted a, a little playroom in this really cute, girly playroom. She got it. She found an item in there. Um, she found the tea set that belonged to someone in the family. Um, Nell or sorry Theo wanted a dance room so she got a dance room uh Steve the the, the boy who would be so into video games at that age has yeah. a game room with a Sega in it um which cracked me up because I used to have a Sega back in the day so it's hilarious but I think they're in the red room so I'm I'm glad that you brought that up and that I wasn't the only one going that way because we, uh, we've questioned it before um but now we're seeing this consistently What what was your thought on it
2: No, I mean, you're kind of enlightening me a little bit. I didn't really think about the treehouse part of it and tying all three or all, all the kids having some kind of mystical place or some non-existent place that they're going to. Um, So now, so with that, now the question is, okay, is this, is this a place that the house is creating to protect the kids, to keep the kids there? Mm -hmm. Um, Are they still there? (laughs) <laughs> you know that's that's the thing. I kind of wonder, like, has this house basically made them think they're living their life, but they're still in this house? Um, which we've mentioned that question before.
1: Yep, that would be so creepy because
2: it's all like it's like matrixy. It's like if your reality isn't real, but you think it's real. So isn't that your reality then? Right. Um, God. Oh man. Like. Wh- so uh, that kind of creeps me out now to think about it a little bit more because the dance room I thing know. I didn't think of. Yeah. But then you th- so then you wonder like there was pounding on her do- on the door when she was in there dancing. Mhm. Did did the pounding on the door was that actually her dad trying to get in the red room?
1: Maybe, because we've seen them try to get in the room several mm-hmm.
2: times. You know, and how are they getting in this room? Um
1: yeah, how are they getting in there? It's locked. But, you know, like the room of requirement, it just kinda opens up for you. I mean, That's I think, what I would
2: think, yeah. You know, it's
1: kinda like, oh here. And I think it's just, you know, another way of, of you know, we keep getting all these hints that houses are alive, you know, and and, and it seems like that's kinda where we're going again with, with Hill House is that it's alive and it's showing these kids whatever that they want to know to make them comfortable and I think essentially want to keep them there. Um and that's that's what it seems to me is giving them just what they need at the time, uh, not in a in a good way. I think in a very sinister type way. So I don't know. I'm glad that you brought that up because I thought maybe I was a little bit bonkers um, for thinking it or going too far off off the way. But um,
2: no, I think you're you're kind of onto something. I'm really curious to see. Would it be? It's kind of cool if this if that's one of those things that we get to the end of it and that's not resolved. But you could go back and dissect it and be like, "Oh my God, those rooms weren't real," and mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, get all the lines together to prove what it is and what it isn't. Um, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty good.
1: Well, and and really, I mean, I don't know that we've seen every single house in Hill House. It is a really big house, but you know, if you think of so, we've seen all the most of the bedrooms, the, the children's bedrooms, the parents' bedrooms. We know the red room is which has never been into, but. The house cannot be that big that it has um you know this game room, the playroom, this dance room, um and all of these things separately. Now granted the treehouse would be outside, but um so I don't know, it just didn't make sense to have I, I get it's a big house, but it just didn't seem plausible, and especially knowing else talking about it. I mean, we know that they've had a shared time in the the treehouse when um uh, Luke was out there with, or Stephen went looking for him or whatever. And he, you know, which that was interesting because other times they kind of like Nell was in, in the playroom by herself, Theo was in the dance room by herself, uh, Stephen was in the game room by himself. But Stephen went looking for Luke and found him in the treehouse, in quotes. Um, so they kind of shared that. That was the one time they had this like shared.
2: Well, I mean, you could ask the question together. was that actually Steve?
1: Yeah, it's true. Oh, mind is blown. Only a couple more episodes. Anyway, I like that. That was, sorry, yeah. I kind of jumped into that was your number three, wasn't it? Yeah. Cool. Well, my number three, I think, is going to kind of go into what you kind of mentioned in your number five when you um, talked about it. And that, to me, is this shift in tone. Um, I I think it's a good thing though what i saw in this episode and i want to get your thoughts on it and see if you agree um i feel like there's been a little bit of a shift and it's kind of reminds me a little bit of the denial stage of grief um i feel like that's kind of like where we've been in most of the series so far it's like we've been in denial and now we're moving into anger and i like it because anger is causing this family to take action they're finally communicating they're laying it all out there. They're like, you know, finally saying all the things that they should be saying, um, and now they're moving forward to fight for their family. You know, they're all headed in the same place to go help Luke, and they're becoming more united where they've been apart and so estranged for so much. But now they're being united, and I feel like it's a little bit of a shift. I don't know if that will carry on in the remainder of the episodes and what will happen, but I feel like there has been a shift. And um, wanted to get your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I, I've kind of I got the little bit of the the grief kind of the stages of grief. Um, I was just trying to think now if you could tie like each one to one of the kids like denial, anger,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which I mean denial you could say Steve,
0: anger For sure, you could,
2: um you could definitely say it's Theo. Um, what are the, all the, the stages of grief?
1: Oh goodness, I'd have to look them up.
2: There are five stages. So there's shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression. Acceptance. I think denial five, is in there. So five denial, stages
1: for five kids.
2: Yeah, that's so there's <laughs> denial, which would be Steve. Anger would be Theo. Bargaining you could say would be uh Luke. Depression you could say is Shirley. And then acceptance, I think you could say is um No. No.
1: I don't know. I wonder if you could swap those between Nell and Shirley. I feel like Nell could be the depressed.
2: Uh, Ah, yeah, maybe. That'd probably make more sense. Nell, or uh, Shirley's a little bit more just acceptance of it. Yeah, I think that'd actually make more sense. So maybe, yeah, you could definitely tie it to those five stages.
1: I think there there might be onto something with that. I'm going to have to do some more research. I like it, though. It was just, yeah, and that's all my number three. It was just kind of like this change that's that's kind of happening and i thought it was a good change anyway in in where we're kind of moving um in the in the remainder of the the last few episodes here so uh just short and sweet but that's my number three
2: my number two is uh i and was very intrigued at the way that hugh described the house mm. so they they finally figure out where luke is going and Hugh kind of spills the whole beans about the house.
0: Yes. And
2: he mentioned it's the most dangerous place on the face of the earth for the family. Yes. Because they are like an unfinished meal, this mm-hmm. house.
1: Wasn't that a great line? So,
2: oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like, again, like we've talked about, they say this house is alive. and At this point, this is when you're seeing Luke start to pull up. You know he's got some gas tanks. He pulls, or some gas cans. He pulls the gas cans out. And what do you see? You see the house light up. You see the light flash twice. Yeah. And it's, uh, like, this This show is, like, heading to an awesome, like, ending. Again, like, I cannot wait to watch these last two episodes to figure out kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's an unfinished meal. Is this house going to get burnt down? Is this house still going to be standing at the end? Is this family still going to be standing at the end? Uh Oh, but yeah i just really really like, thought that was kind of a clever unfinished meal line
1: it was and did you notice when luke pulls up to the house it starts glowing for him like it did for nell but when he gets when he pulls up and he he's looking at the house it's red
2: yeah hers like hers it's was like angry. yellow wasn't it yeah
1: hers was like yellow and warm and welcoming you know because it was like welcoming welcoming her home and with luke it was like pissed
2: yeah <laughs> And and it's angry. like, oh, look, you're back. Oh, what the fuck is that?
1: What is in your hands, young man? Think you're gonna burn us down? Um, yeah, it was. It was definitely a, a shift there um, in in how it was welcoming Nell versus how it was welcoming Luke. It's almost like it could read his intentions mm-hmm. and and feel what he was like, what was in his heart, and and what he was coming there for. Where versus what Nell was going there for. What's well, um,
2: interesting because the way Nell went there it was it was kind of more accepting, like you said. It was more uh, just like calming, I guess, even when she was there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But Luke's going there completely aggressive. Right. You know, he's probably, like he was young enough, he probably doesn't remember the house a ton. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if maybe he's been cleaned for 90 days. And maybe, maybe the drugs and stuff was suppressing a lot of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So now
2: he's 90 days clean. He just almost got pulled into a grave by his dead mother. And he's like, okay, fuck this. Like, I'm not dealing with this. This house is evil. I know it's evil. I don't care what anybody says. Right, And it, it kind of goes back to the line he said to his dad in the last episode where he's like, I'm really glad you're here. We thought he was going to go off and shoot some smack, but instead he's going to take care of what probably should have been taken care of years ago.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and finding out that he was going there for that and that he wasn't turning back to drugs or um, and that... And then they find out he's actually going there to burn the place down instead of going to, like, commit suicide, which is what they, yeah. they had feared, which I think Theo made a really good point in that, too, And what she said, that she's like, you know, I think that we have bigger problems than him going back to drugs, you know. She yeah. thought he was going to go back, you know, to that and, and go to the same place where their mother died, where Nell killed herself, and, and what she said made a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, I, I can't wait. It, it definitely ended on a hell of a cliffhanger, so—
2: mm-hmm. Yep, so my number two is just an unfinished meal.
1: I like it. That was such a great line. I really, really liked it. And my number two kind of goes into that as well. And that's just Hugh's entire bomb drop during this episode. I'm like, thank you, uh, Hugh, for finally kind of talking about this a little bit and opening up. He, We still don't know exactly everything that happened that night um, when he whisked the kids away and um, Olivia died. Um, But what he talks about, he starts talking about witness marks in these old antique clocks that show evidence of repairs that have been done to it. Um, And he says the house too bears witness to the things that happened there. Uh, He says, you see the marks, Hugh tells Steve, but you don't know how to read them. Um, And I love that so much because I I truly feel, and people might think I'm batshit, and that's fine. You wouldn't be the first person to think I'm batshit. (laughs) I don't care. Um, But I truly believe that objects and items can kind of hold an energy to them um and and especially a place like hill house where um probably some really terrible events have have happened and we we learned that some of the people that live there were completely clinically insane and who knows what the hell happened there and what took place but like places like there there's um a sanitarium, it's it's not open now, but like it was open in the days of the uh, tuberculosis outbreak, and there were thousands and thousands of people that died at the sanitarium. Men, women, children um, all died, and they um, claim that it's haunted. I've been there. I've went on a tour, and they do like a little haunted house every year. I've, I've been to that. It's pretty close to me. Um, and, and it's like I, I truly feel like if you have a place like that where there's so much death And pain and misery um, and sadness that a place can kind of hold a part of that energy. And I think that that can, you know, cause things to happen in these places and why you probably hear or see things and why people experience things. So I really, really love that Steve said that, that he, he talks about this as far as witness marks and how, you know, it shows evidence of something that's happened there. He goes, he goes on to say, um, he says, Do you know what witness marks are? They're scars, little marks inside the clock, scrapes, lines, divots from tools, gears, pieces removed from the clock. They're basically evidence of repairs that have been done to the clock and what the clock was. And with antique clocks, you almost never have a repair record. So you have to learn how to read the witness marks so you can understand what was done to the machine and how it's meant to function. Witness marks tell the story of the piece if you know how to read them. I just thought that was a beautiful uh, little speech. Um, And I feel like this house is alive and it wants the cranes back. Um, And he's trying to tell Stephen it's especially dangerous for him because of what he wrote and how he wrote. Um, And how. Because he's so blind to it and that it's important to know or for Steve to know that no one in the family is crazy and that when he enters that house, he needs to know exactly the kind of tricks it's going to pull on them. So I I really loved that whole speech. I thought it was great. Um, And that that's why Steve's in danger. I mean, the entire family's in danger, but Steve, most of all. And I just thought it was a beautiful way of demonstrating that. And then, of course, we got the whole you know, that Steven saw a ghost and he didn't realize it. And, um, I just thought it was great.
2: Yeah, And it was, it was huge. It was huge. You can almost make an analogy with that too, because, you know, like somebody who can read the witness marks of a clock is a professional and skilled. And you talk about like Olivia and, you know, Shirley and Theo and them who they can kind of read those things in a supernatural sense. You know, like you were talking about houses and stuff like that, how they have the witness marks. There you go. They they kind of have that as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought everything that he said there in the car. Once he jumped in the car, when he realized what Luke was doing. Once they, you know, found out what happened there at the gas station and where he was headed and what he was doing, um, and the intent. And he's like. He knows that that's going to turn out bad because the house is going to fight back. It's not just going to allow Luke to go in there and burn it down. Um, it's going to play tricks on him. Um, and and then, of course, we had the information about the treehouse. He's like, there was no treehouse. You know, there was no guy there fixing the clock. And it's just – and Steve, his mind is just like, what the hell? He's trying to, like, process this. Of course, he still doesn't quite believe it. But I I am glad that he finally gets it out, and I'm glad that we got a little bit of information there. So, um, and I thought Timothy Hutton was so good um he said so little throughout the entire series, and he said he's said a lot with not saying very much as far as dialogue, but he's very expressive, and then when he finally gets to talk, I thought it was just beautiful. I really love this um this speech that he gave him, so that's my number two is the bomb drop.
2: I like it. Uh, my number one, uh, is just going to kind of go to the ending of this and simply title Luke's trying to burn down the house. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we see him. So when he shows up, like you said, you see that red intense, like the house is pissed and he walks in, he's, you know, throwing the gasoline all over the place. And you're like, okay, like, how can you stop that? There's no way to stop this. And he lights his lighter, chucks it out there and you see a creepy kind of like ghost like flame.
0: Yeah. Just kind of
2: burn all the fuel and go away. You see his mother come walking down the steps, and mm. you think, okay, like what's going to happen here? And behind him is—I'm pretty sure that was insane—the insane, the insane uh, crane, right?
1: That was Poppy, or not crane.
2: Yeah, Poppy. And I'm curious because the way she grabbed his head mm-hmm. looked like she was going to pop it like a cherry,
1: yes, or twist his neck like they yeah. do, like snap. You know the the, the fancy ninja move.
2: Yeah, you yeah, know, like snap the coup his neck. de gras. Yeah. So I'm curious when they get there if they're going to see, and that's going to suck if that's how Luke dies, God. because I feel like he's got such a like a coming back story. I that, know uh, it can't
1: be the way he goes out. It can't. I can't have that.
2: <laughs> well, they're going to walk in and he's going to be coming down the stairs with like his neck all bent,
0: going. <Jesus>.
1: Oh my gosh. It'll be bent neck lady Nell and then twisted neck Steve.
2: Yeah. Um, t- twisted neck Luke.
1: Yeah. Oh, see so yeah, I I said Luke. I said Steve and I meant Luke. I was thinking Luke and for some reason I said Steve. I'm still stuck on Steve from uh what I said earlier. I I hope not. I hope that she is just grabbing him to scare the hell out of him. I know it scared the shit out of me um when she just appeared there and grabbed him um I don't know.
2: And, uh, I, th- I think that's kind of why I'm like, oh, I want so much more of this episode because for about an episode and a half, like I'm like, okay, Luke's going back to drugs. And you find out he's kind of trying to be a hero at this point. Mm-hmm. And we get less than probably two or three minutes of him because we see him going in there, throwing the gas, trying to light it, and then we see him getting his head grabbed by Poppy. So I'm I, i I'm, I'm not sure who the hero of this show is going to be, if there will be any of them. But it's, it's kind of interesting to see Luke take this on his, on himself is he's probably the most vulnerable when you think of his drug state and everything, right? You know, the stuff that he has to deal with. So,
1: right. And I'm completely scared for him that he's decided to go back to the house and try to be a hero, but I'm proud of him for not just turning to drugs. Like everyone assumes that he's going to, um, cause 90 days it's, it's a good progression for him because it's the longest that he's been, I guess, since he started drugs. He's been clean, but it's still pretty fresh. I mean, 90 days is not a lot in the grand scheme of things when you've been a junkie for 10 plus years and that's the longest that you've ever went for being clean. So 90 days is not a long time. So of course it would make sense that he just has a complete breakdown. Not only has he just lost his sister, he had the incident there at the grave site where he sees Nell and his mother and his mother tries to pull him into a grave. So I mean, of course it makes sense. So I'm glad that he didn't just, you know, turn to drugs like you would assume that he would and be like, fuck this, being numb and drugged out is way better than this bullshit. So glad to see that but I am completely scared for him that he's went to the house alone because clearly no one should be alone in that house um, at all so yeah I like that I think I'm definitely um, once I get done with some other things I'm definitely going to be watching this whenever Uh, I'm just going to keep up with uh, tradition here and I'm going to watch it while I'm in bed (laughs) why not lights out um sleep is overrated the dog. sleep is way overrated i'm always up at 3am anyway the witching hour i swear um, so might as well just make it legit and have a good excuse um, for that happening i like it that's a good number one
2: i'm so what do you have for your number one
1: well we talked about it already and that was in this episode finding out the treehouse didn't exist um, and talking about the game room the dance room, the playroom. Um, and that we thought I'm glad we're both on the same page thinking that it's the red room. And I just really think that, you know, that's where Olivia was getting shit too. We saw her, we saw the kids in the library down there with Hugh. We saw uh, Nell and Luke. Nell was hiding and here comes Olivia in her, one of her beautiful satin flowy gowns and she's coming down the steps and what's right up there at the top of the steps. The Red Room. Yeah. She keeps coming from there.
2: Do you think when we see that, I think you've already mentioned it, like when we see flowy, like beautiful Olivia, Mm -hmm. that's not actually her because... The previous episode when she gives the master prints, she comes down the steps and she's kind of like that. She's very elegant, very well put together. Mm-hmm. A lady doesn't look like she's trying to remodel a house and has five kids.
1: In her beautiful little kitten heels and, yeah. and dressing gowns, yeah.
2: But you fast forward a couple of uh moments later in that episode when Hugh shows her those prints, her hair is all frazzled, she's you know, wearing like raggedy clothes, and she's like, I didn't draw this. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, kind of interesting.
0: I don't
1: know. I, I feel like I I've read some comments people have talked about why the hell does she dress that way? It doesn't, because it's supposed to be, didn't we finally find out like a timeline a little bit that uh, this is supposed to be uh, 1992. So people weren't. Yeah. 92. Yeah. So people weren't really dressing like that in 1992. You know, that wasn't like a trend of what she's wearing, but you know, I feel Olivia is just very, I, I get a very boho like vibe from her. This boho hippie chic kind of vibe that she's a very free spirit and this is i feel how she would dress i feel she's a little bit eccentric in a good way um and i i just i kind of relate to that just a little bit. She kind of just dresses how she's comfortable and how she feels and what makes her feel good. So I like the flowy gowns. I love her her beautiful dressing gowns and her nightgowns and her be- beautiful flowy gowns. It may not make sense being in this really old house and you're doing this work, but she is mainly doing like the architecture piece of it. She's doing the drawings for the forever home. She's trying to help with the plans you know, for the house. I'm sure she has a lot of say in like the design and the and the um the the remodel or not sorry not not it's not really remodel, but like revamping and re, um kind of um updating the house and such so they can flip it and Hugh's the one that's kind of doing the dirty work, and you know he's the one actually you know taking down the walls and Doing all this work with the mold So I don't know, I kind of see that But I don't know, that's a really good point Because remember when she comes down to the basement In the um one episode where she really starts to lose her shit And that's when she gives Hugh those plans After she drive, uh, draws the forever home In the uh, Hill House uh plans She's wearing jeans and a t-shirt Yeah And it's so, that to me was odd I thought, that doesn't look like Olivia To me that was odd um, to see her in jeans, because that's like the most practical thing that we've really seen her. Now, I love everything else that she's wearing. I love the flowy dresses, I think it's beautiful, and I think it really suits her character. Um, That we see her. But to me, that wasn't Olivia. Same as whenever she's having that little meltdown in her office when he's talking to her, but he's like, look, what is this? What did you do? And, you know, um, what's wrong with you? And she's kind of frazzled and stuff. Um, I feel like that's when we're starting to see that separation of something maybe taking her over. That, to me, wasn't Olivia when we saw her in the jeans and (laughs) t-shirt.
2: Yeah, I wonder if we're going to get, like, a a Saw ending where, like, it takes, like, everything from the previous nine episodes and ties it in Uh
0: so you can
2: see it. Because, like, Saw used to do that in the movies where at the end of it you'd be like, what the fuck's going on? And they'd be like, oh, well, this, this, and this, and this, and this is how we got here. And you're like, oh, okay, I kind of see it, but thanks for making it, you know, it's like Saw for dummies. That's, like, the last four minutes of the – so we need a haunting of Hill House for dummies in the last, like – Two minutes of this.
1: I know. I feel like I'm probably going to have to watch this series probably five times. Yeah. Um, five rewatches is a good one to, to really get it.
2: Good one to go back through and rewatch.
1: It is. I'm excited to I'll, – I'll definitely be, re- be rewatching um, to kind of see – especially once we get to the ending and see how it ends. I want to go back and see how much we were given. Like ah, oh, we should have been able to like piece this together from the first damn episode. It told us exactly then what was going to happen.
2: <laughs> well, what if you get at the end and like the the hidden ghosts have more of a part to play in it than what we originally thought?
1: Ugh, fucking hidden ghosts. I'm done with them. <laughs> done with them. Anyway, that was. I think I've talked out um, my number one a lot, but I I think that's really good. Um, I'm I think that's a really good theory. I I do think you know, she's interesting. And I think it kind of ties in a little bit also to what Hugh said when he was talking to Steve about, um, you know, your mom was the kite and I was the line. I love that. Line. Yeah, that I think was that good. was beautiful. And I think, and that she was a, um, a creature of the clouds and he was a creature of the earth. I think that was a, the absolute perfect description of, of, of him and Olivia. Like, she's the one that's kind of not, I don't want to say flighty like a bad way, but she's she's more the dreamer. Yeah, yeah. And he's more the, the practical, down to earth kind of person. And I can see, and it just, to me, it suits her character and it suits her um, perfectly. And I love that. And I relate to that. So I like it. Did you have any notes?
2: Uh, I had a couple. Um, so we did find black mold on the forever home mm-hmm. in uh, Shirley's house. Uh, there. Uh, when Theo stops by and Shirley and them have their conversation, Shirley's trying to walk away and she gra- Theo grabs her and turns around and she punches her right in the boob, <laughs> which I thought was like a very like sister moment. Like Did you just punch me in the boob. It's like when you, if you try to make out with my husband, that's what you get.
1: Oh my God! I, I, it shouldn't have been funny, and I don't have a sister, but it seemed like a very sisterly. I've I've been around plenty of sisters and seen some serious sister fights, and they can get intense. And this is exactly right what I would imagine a true sister fight. It shouldn't have been funny, but it's funny because she seemed surely seemed completely horrified that she did it, and then she she like puffed up and she's like, Yeah, yeah, I did that. And that's what you get when you try to kiss my husband. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was a really great moment.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much the main notes I had. I think we covered everything else.
1: Um, well, we talked a little bit. I'm going to just jump into my notes. So we, we've talked about the ghost working on the clock. When, when Stephen's walking through the house and he walks past that guy, did he stand out for you, the ghost at the he, clock?
2: He did a little bit. Um, I'm not going to lie. Somebody kind of spoiled that for me. Aww. So I kind of knew it was an, it was a complete accident when they told me about it. But, but yeah, I kind of saw that. and was like, Oh, okay. That that's a ghost.
1: Bummer. Well, I, I admit um, that when he was walking by him and Steve kind of makes a point to look at him, I thought that dude does not look like he belongs there. I mean, yeah. he just, he looked like a, a Mario cosplayer a little bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. That's a good point.
1: With his handlebar mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Um, <laughs> Just, But uh, he did stick out for me I kind of was like He just doesn't look like He belonged there But whatever You know um, People have their eccentricities And I'm perfectly fine with that So I thought eh, I'm not going to think about it too much But then getting confirmation later I was like I knew it I knew he didn't belong there um, Talk a little bit about The jump scares uh, Nell in the car
2: That one Yeah That got me That was like Goosebumps on top of Goosebumps moment
1: we've talked about when we watched this show and I I did go watch this after we had recorded uh, the last episode, did all my nighttime activities and climbed into bed, lights out, completely dark. My dog, one of my dogs is um, as typical, was lying in bed next to me. um, Very peaceful. Um, This moment happened and I was already so caught up. I mean, we just had in the previous episode was uh, when Timothy Hutton um, was having his speech to, with Steve. And so I was already like just kind of caught up in these dramatic moments. Like I was in, it, for me it was intense. Like I was clutching the edge of my bed sheets. Like I'm all curled up and I'm, you know, clutching the bedsheets and I'm like, gosh, this is so good. This is so good. The, the dialogue is so great and I'm caught up already. And it was intense. And, then uh, the conversation with Shirley and Theo was, again, intense, and I'm just so caught up in their dramatic family moment that was happening, and I was so glad they're finally having this. And then all of a sudden they start arguing, and here comes Nell. Like, shut the fuck up. And I ju- this is like the first – I've seen so many damn scary movies in my life. This is the first time that I screamed out <laughs> loud ever. It was definitely
2: uh, kind of like the moment at the um – Funeral home where her casket falls. Yeah, it was kind of the things like, listen, if you guys can't get on the same page here, you're going to tear each other apart when you get to the house. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of the same thing, like, fucking stop.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. I think kind of like both of it, or like all of us, are thinking in that moment, like, would you please shut the hell up and stop arguing? I've had enough of you two arguing, and I feel like that was kind of like what Nell was doing, was like, number one, shut up. But I think also it was maybe a little bit of a warning. Maybe, like, they're going to the house, maybe a warning to not go to the house. I don't know. Because I feel like she keeps trying to warn them um, Mm -hmm. about going to the house. But oh my god, I've never been so scared in my life. And I I really thought my heart was going to explode out of my chest. And At the same time, though, I really loved it because um, I love how this show has really scared the shit out of me like no other movie or show I've ever watched in my entire life. I thought I was pretty much numb. I felt like Theo a little bit. I'm a little bit numb to scary movies. I'm a little bit numb about what they can do because I feel like I've seen it all and nothing gets me. This fucking gets me. And I I loved it. Hated it and loved it at the same time. And then my dog um, looked at me like, why are you screaming?
2: You (laughs) suck. I was almost asleep.
1: She was, like, all peaceful, and she looks at me with her ears back because I just screamed. And she was like, what the hell are you screaming about? So her ears are back, planted to the side of her head. And she's like, screw you. And she got up and went and crawled (laughs) under the bed. Um, Under the bed is where she lives. Um, We talked about the house, how it glowed when Luke showed up versus when Nellie showed up. Um, Just thought it was interesting that Poppy and William had a meet-cute at the mental hospital. Because, hey, that's where all cute couples, that's yep. the, the go-to, right? A meet cute at the mental hospital. Jesus. I can't wait to dig into them a little bit. Um, I, re- I thought this was interesting. Did you catch? I don't know. I don't, I'll, I'll admit I do not watch all of the shows um, uh, Netflix has for, for Marvel, like um, Daredevil and such. But uh, did you catch in a moment of Netflix solidarity, uh, Shirley's son dressed up as Daredevil?
2: Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: and he was the non-commercial one. He 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 wasn't in his fancy costume. He was donning all black, um, uh, like the like the original Daredevil. So I thought that was interesting. A little shout out to hey, we're all a Netflix family here. Um, and her husband thought,
2: like goes the goes to Shirley's like, hey, please don't cancel this relationship. <laughs> wink, wink.
1: Oh, it's so sad. We're. It's, I think it sucks that. Um, all these shows are kind of getting sucked out of Netflix there. All these, uh, see Daredevil, and then gosh, there's been a whole slew of them lately and it sucks. Um, wanted to just mention that all of this, I thought it was interesting this night. It, this was all happening on All Hallows Eve.
0: Good Halloween. call, yeah.
1: Um, I really love Steve's line <laughs> when he's talking about the family and he describes Theo as a clenched fist with hair. <laughs> when he's talking about the family um, How Luke's a junkie Shirley's a control freak Or whatever he says And then Theo's uh, basically a clenched fist with hair <laughs> I laughed my ass off because I thought it's probably been said a few times About me in my early years um, <laughs> Hugh got some really great lines uh, Oh I mentioned that she was the kite I was the line uh, You mentioned the our family's like an unfinished meal To that house So good the banging on the doors and the walls, that scared the shit out of me that was happening. That was like a callback to one of the previous episodes with Shirley and Theo uh, in Shirley's room at Hill House when they experienced all the banging on the walls. This happened again in this episode, and I was scared shitless during that. I mean, that legit scared me um, not as bad as Nell in the car, but this had me, but I thought it was interesting that it happened again when Shirley was in emotional distress. And do you think that this could have possibly been like a projection of what she's going through in that moment?
2: Maybe a chance to take advantage of it or something, maybe.
1: Well, cause we, we, it's like, she keeps going. It's like, while she's having these emotional events, things like this happen. And, um, So we got the banging on the walls. She also saw – we saw Bourbon Guy. I'm going to call him Bourbon Guy that saluted his drink to her again, raises a glass to her again in this episode, and then uh, more banging on the doors. Um, So I don't know. Interesting, though. Chapter 19. This is the chapter in Steve's book that he talks about, the guy repairing the clock, and when he finds the vanity for his room, his dad brings that up. And I just didn't know – I don't expect you to have this answer. It's just a question I have. If there's significance to this chapter and if we'll see it mentioned again, like what is the significance of chapter 19? And is this pivotal, pivotal to something that happens in the book or happens to, sorry, in the series um, that Steve wrote in his book. So it was very specific that they mentioned this. So I don't know. Uh, We talked about Poppy Hill. I'm interested to see a little bit about her. Talked about William. Talked about the moldy, Vanity. And then I thought one last thing I wanted to mention. Um, We get a little bit of information. We still don't know exactly what happened. He will not talk about it, but Steve talks about it. He says, I saw the police reports. Her skull cracked like a melon. Um, There was blood all over the library carpet. There were bruises on her upper arms because someone grabbed her pretty hard. Um, a contusion on the back of her head from being shoved into a wall. Her ankle was twisted. So she was limping. She was bruised to hell, depressed out of her mind, unmedicated, untreated, and abandoned. Um, so I thought that was interesting. We saw her limping. Remember when we were like, oh, who was that in the hall in the first episode yeah. when uh, he grabbed Steven and – um Oh, God, that still fucks me up to see that image in my head. Um, Well,
2: we're going to probably get to see it again next episode.
1: I think we are, but I really thought that um, this, I think, really gets to the crux of why Steve, we think Steve is and the rest of the family so angry at their dad because he won't talk about that night and he won't really come clean about what really happened because he was the only one that was there. Um, But And I think that is true, but I also think, As to what he said to Hugh when he says, um, you threw us in the car, you left her there alone. And she threw herself off the goddamn staircase and that was your best. Um, He said, fuck the house. It wasn't the house. She was sick. She was sick in her mind. And the one person, the one person that was supposed to take care of her didn't do a goddamn thing to get her help. And I think that then lies the real issue as to why Steve really is so angry and resentful towards his father. Is that He thinks he should have done more, at least in his mind. Because he believes his mother was mentally ill, that his dad just abandoned her and didn't get her the treatment and just ignored what was wrong with her as he sees it. I know that that's not—I don't believe that's true at all. I don't think she was mentally ill. I really think it was the house affecting her. But that, I think, really digs deep into why Steve has such a problem with his dad. So that was my last note.
2: Good notes. Great notes. <sighs> Good show. Good show. I could probably talk
1: on and on about. Um, if anybody wants, by the way, just give me a call. Let's chat about <laughs> take the Phil House. DM me. Um, I'll give you my number and we'll just chat and chat and chat because I could probably talk about it a lot more than what I do here. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see if that's all for the notes and talk about the episode this week. Normally I would move on to hidden ghosts. There were no hidden ghosts this Episode, so, uh, yeah, I didn't
2: notice any either.
1: No, there were no hidden ghosts. All the ghosts that we saw were not hidden. they were in front of your face. And um, I'm okay with that because uh, they certainly scare the shit out of me more than what the (laughs) hidden ghosts typically do. So no hidden ghosts this episode, guys, but let's wait for the next one because I bet we'll get some then. Um, So now we're going to move on to messages from the room beyond the red door and to listener feedback. Sean, why don't you kick us off?
2: All right. Our first one comes from Lindsay Slitch. So once again, Miss Dudley questions a room in the house when Stephen is talking about the vanity table with her and where he found it. At this point, if I was Miss Dudley, I'd be wondering about all these various rooms that keep coming up and I know nothing about. Why not ask a a kid to show you which room? Mm -hmm. Hugh also reveals there was never any tree house. So was there also no playroom or game room or dance room, as you said, Rima? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, Black mold seems to be taking over everything. First, the basement. But in the episode, we see it underneath the vanity table when Stephen is painting it. And it looks like it might be covering the pieces of the broken model house in Shirley's home. Is this a sign of evil overtaking everything or what? The scene in the car. Oh, the scene in the car. (laughs) I knew it was coming. I'd never seen it, and I was still gasped, yelled, oh, my God, and got chills everywhere. So far, that's the absolute worst scene in the show for me. It's one of the best jump scares I can remember ever. Everything Theo explained later made it so much worse. You'd never get me back in that car. Someone call an Uber. Side note, Rima, I totally see the Angelina Jolie comparison to Theo, especially in this episode.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: When Luke is staring at the house and it almost comes alive with the dull red lights. Holy creepy. I don't know why people in scary shows always go everywhere alone. If I was Luke, I'd be like, hey, fam, want to go burn down the house with me? (laughs) Fuck going alone. Shirley reminds me of myself at Halloween. Just take the fucking candy and go. Can't wait to hear your guys' reaction to this episode, especially the scene in the car.
1: Oh, that scene in the car. It's really hard for me to describe it. I think you would have to, if you had been with me, you would totally understand it more uh, because it was legit. I thought I was going to... stroke out it it, i was very very scared very scared and i would have definitely i i could definitely relate to theo jumping out of the car i'm sitting there looking at shirley like how are you still in that car because i would be theo who literally just practically ran out when it was still moving and ran 20 feet uh kneeling in um in the field there and if if she hadn't already been devastated about what she was trying to explain to Shirley about how she was feeling when that whole episode between her and Kevin took place, I would have been crying about what the hell I just saw in the damn car. Um, Because that would have had me in hysterics, just that. Really great feedback, Lindsay. Thanks. Next one is from Maureen Favo. She says, This episode where we find out how truly dangerous Hill House is to the Crane family. The scene with Theo and Shirley in the car uh, in the field was amazing. Also very striking how Hugh and Steve have never been talking about the same thing. Good to see Steve considering he may have been missing
0: some things. I agree.
2: Avelino Rocino, another brilliant episode in a perfect series. For me, this was the picture, or was the perfect mixture of emotion and fright. I'm sure you guys are going to spend a long conversation on Nell's appearance in the car. That one made me nearly fall out of bed the first time I watched it. But upon rewatch, I'm appreciating the scare even more. To me, it was Nell's attempt to break through and get her sisters to communicate and make up. Did you notice that Nell's ghost jumped forward and screamed much like a person may wake up suddenly from a nightmare? Oh, that's a good call. Mmm. It was her appearance that finally got the sisters to make up and proceed one of the most emotional monologues by Theo of the series. Mm -hmm. As I stated before, practically every character, even the small ones, have a great monologue at some point, and this was Theo's. In parallel, the father and Stephen also had their makeup moment in the journey after Luke. The evil of Hill House tried to divide and conquer, but the strength and love of the family is also something that can't be underestimated.
1: That's what I'm hoping for. This family has been so dysfunctional and so broken apart by this terrible tragedy and misunderstandings um, from what really happened and and not really understanding and not communicating about it, not talking about it, um, that I really hope it pulls them together. That's what I hope for. Um, Thank you, Avellino. Uh, Mandy Castillo says, Loving this podcast. So, this episode provided a moment my husband loves to tease me about. So, when Nell suddenly appears to the sisters in the car, I let out a literal scream, something I never do during scary movies. And my heart was racing for several minutes. Such a genius show. I have to wonder if Nell was the first dead person Theo had ever touched, because absolute nothing sounds about right with the empty shell that is a corpse. If she was able to feel something, I'd have to wonder why she isn't a detective solving murders in addition to helping disturb children. Just a thought. Hmm.
2: Uh, Let's see. So we got an email. So Rima and Sean, hello again. I know you discussed at length the many horrors that this show has given us. My horror with episode eight was with Steven and Leah and his admission to his vasectomy years ago. The shame and anger from a betrayal of that magnitude by your own spouse. My heart broke for Leah. Is it Leah? I think it's Lee. Lee. Uh, His behavior angered me as a woman who couldn't get pregnant for years. You start to think that maybe there's something wrong with you and and pressure yourself to figure out the whys. And yes, I understand that he was concerned about mental illness, but tell your wife. I hope that Stephen will have some kind of epiphany in the coming episodes. I wanted to drive him back to Hill House myself and lock him inside after this episode. Thanks, as always, for your coverage for the show. Hopefully I'm not sounding too crazy harsh. Carrie.
1: I don't think you sound crazy harsh at all, Carrie. I'm on the same page. Um, I was I was angry as well, even though I've never been through something like that, like you have, um, and struggled with you know any type of infertility or struggling to get pregnant. Um, I think that's terrible. It's a terrible betrayal, uh, in yeah, my opinion. I
2: agree. I think betrayal is a good way to put it. It's, I mean, you're lying to your spouse, so it's definitely betrayal to an extent.
1: Definitely a betrayal. I get that it's hard to tell. I'm not saying you should have, like, on their first date. Oh, by the way, I had a vasectomy. But, you know, if you start getting serious with someone and you start having those conversations about either getting married, getting engaged, and, you know, you start talking about, um, oh, I'd like to have children one day. Because that it always comes up. I mean, if, if you're heading that way towards engagement, getting married, those and you're getting serious in a relationship, it comes up, right? Or it should. If it's not people, you should be talking about it. <laughs> Have kids or not? It's kind of important um, important conversation to have. Um, another email says, "Oh, the car scenes in this one first obvious one with the girls. I'll always jump when I see it every time, forever." But weren't we all Nell at that moment? She and the rest of us were so tired of them fighting. Theo's reveal to Shirley was intense. She was just trying to feel something. I wonder what kept Theo from feeling anything when she touched her sister's body. Maybe because Nell isn't at peace or it's something the house is doing. The scenes with Shirley and Theo and the pounding on the doors and windows like in their childhood was crazy too. Um, yes, it was. But I also like the scenes with Steve and Hugh in the car. Steve was pretty awful to Hugh and Hugh has just just to take it but here he finally forced steve to listen to him and boy did he have something to say i thought that clock repairman was real he was solid in the open just like all the living the ghosts are definitely getting more comfortable in the house cinematography story and most of all the acting have blown me away thanks again for covering this show i binged all 10 episodes the first time through but i'm catching so much that i miss with the week by week rewatch along with you guys jenny thanks jenny that's awesome Okay, we also have a voicemail this week from Steve Brown.
3: Hi, Raymond, Sean, it's Steve. Just got finished watching Witness Marks, and uh, this this was my favorite episode of the entire series. I really, really I've been waiting for this episode uh, to talk about it because this episode contains. The only moment in the entire series where I actually jumped, and and I think uh, other people have mentioned it, and you probably already talked about it on the podcast. It's that scene in the car with Theo and Shirley. Literally, that's – I jumped this time even though I knew it was coming. Um, So I I, I, uh, uh, really, really like this episode. Um, You were talking about the whole uh, decaying ghosts and the – uh, visions of the clear ghost or visions of the, uh, the, the mom, um, that, that Hugh has been seeing. And I think it's more complicated than just the decayed one isn't, it is a ghost. And the non decayed one, isn't a ghost. I think there's more to it, uh, than that. I think that we'll see that, uh, as the, the rest of the series unfolds. Um, you heard Mrs. Dudley again, another room where she says, what room? And, uh, so I think that's, uh, that's important. Um, I like that we're we're kind of they didn't wait till the last episode to kind of confirm with us that these are not delusions that these really are ghosts because now we're starting to see more cases of two people seeing the same the same thing. Um, love the line from Stephen where he said Theo's basically a clenched fist with hair. <laughs> really like that. I liked you coming clean um, about. Uh, kind of what's been happening and telling Stephen uh, that he is the most vulnerable one to the house because he's the one who doesn't believe, who sees but doesn't believe. And uh, that's kind of that that whole twist of the whole seeing is believing kind of thing. Um, Stephen saw, but he didn't believe. And so now we're starting to see that happen here. Uh, Can't wait. Uh, to, he- to hear what you guys thought of this episode. Can't wait to, to hear what you guys thought of the rest of the series as, as well, because it's, uh, it's just so good. And uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, anyway, uh, talk to you later. Bye.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Steve.
1: That was great. Thank you so much, Steve, for that feedback. Um, we also have another voicemail.
4: Hi, Rima and Sean. This is Rada in New Mexico, long-time Podcastica listener, first-time caller. <laughs> um, I was listening to your uh, analysis of eulogy this morning, and um, you were talking about how the house, what is it in this house that makes people so terrified they would wall them up inside? And and my take on this house is that it is an entity to itself. Um, it's called the Haunting of Hill House, but um it's the house that seems to um affect people and then alter them and then consumes them and holds on to them um and so that's my take on it that the house is the the house is some sort of monster or ghost in and of itself um i don't know mm-hmm. like the shining you mentioned that too that hotel was the same way it consumed um, so love your podcast. Uh, you guys are hysterical. <laughs> Rima, you need to get a new keyboard. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you're never going to fix that. All right. You guys take care. Bye. <sighs> oh, uh,
2: great points. And yeah, I, I think we to put agree. up a little survey and I said, yeah, just pitch that keyboard and get you a new one. You're not getting the red <sighs> wine out of that. You
1: know, I'm, I'm slowly working on it. Thank you, Rada, for the advice. I, I, you know what I am, um, if it's not, um, if it's not, What is it? If it's not broke, don't fix it. What is it? That damn phrase. It just totally escaped my head. I am a cheapskate. Look, you know, it just, if I'm going to, I'm going to try to fix something before I just buy a brand new one. Um, so I, have been working on it a little bit. I think as I continuously use it, uh, the, the, the really terribly stuck keys, um, are slowly <laughs> becoming slightly less unstuck because I keep using them even though, um, they're, they're, they're pretty bad. Like the zero on my number pad is, um, it's not great when it, 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 if I use it, it holds itself down and sticks and puts about 20 zeros, um, in, in instead of just the one, um,
2: I've heard if you keep them unplugged, you can actually use water to rinse them. You just have to make sure it completely dries and then it should work.
1: I just I don't have time for that Sean. I just really don't. <laughs> I've been working at it with Q-tips and alcohol and little alcohol pads kind of taking a nail file and really digging in there. Um but let me tell you what. I drowned that bitch really good with red wine. I got it good. One side of my keyboard is just completely sticky and I mean it's just a mess. I'm not giving up yet. That is the latest if you are curious about what the hell's going on with my keyboard. I know that everyone really gives a shit about my um ruined keyboard i'm not giving in yet i'm not there but thank you guys um so much for that thank you for the amazing feedback we get such amazing feedback from you guys i really do just love all you guys it it warms my heart every time i see feedback emails and voicemails from you guys um, and then getting this uh first time uh feedback from from you rada is is really great thanks for being um a, a long time listener of podcastica we really appreciate that and thank you to everyone
2: yeah, keep them coming. I'm absolutely loving all the feedback we're getting for the show. I know it's great. All right. Well, this Friday we'll be covering the ninth episode from the Haunting at Hill House, titled "Screamy Mimi's." Mm. Uh, so the description for this episode is: While struggling to discern dreams from reality, Olivia fears for her children's safety. A motherly instinct, Miss Dudley urges her to embrace.
1: I, I think I'm going to do the same thing later tonight. I'm going to finish all my nighttime activities, and I'm watching this one when I go to bed. Um, so it should be a nice uh, s- uh, sleepy Monday morning because I probably won't sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we're really excited for you to join our paranormal investigation. For updates from Hill House, you can follow us on Twitter at Strangetecast.com.
2: You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Stranger Tea check us out on Instagram at strange underscore indeed underscore pod.
1: You can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com and you can also find us on the TV Time app.
2: You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts on podcastica.com. So go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed and all the other great podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcasts.
1: Speaking of awesome podcasts, make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance, that comes out every Sunday.
2: Boom, our live episode just dropped this week, so if you're curious how that went, you can check it out right there. And while you're listening to that, if you want, and you're going to do some holiday shopping, go ahead and check out our show notes as we have an Amazon link, no extra charge to you. Just click the link, do your normal shopping, and we'll get a tiny little kickback.
1: Yeah, and it, there's still time to shop before Christmas, guys. I don't know about you, but Amazon saves my life.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if you know somebody that's in the market for a new keyboard, that's always a good holiday gift
0: hmm
1: that link would really come in handy it doesn't have to and mine's not even wireless so look it doesn't have to be a wireless one if, if y'all want to send it my way i I wouldn't say no and i wouldn't be mad about it um yeah use our link
2: all right well that's our show episode 69 witness marks
1: until next time i'm rima and i'm sean and rada is strange indeed